Welcome to There She Goes, a podcast celebrating women who experience the world on their terms through solo travel. My name is Katherine Sullivan, and it is my honor to share these stories with you. Hello, all you beautiful humans and cats and dogs and aliens and guinea pigs. Anybody else tuning in today, thank you for joining me. In the last few weeks, I've had the privilege of recording a couple very special interviews for There She Goes. Okay, the truth is they're all very special to me, and I'm always so excited to share them with you. And that goes for this episode as well. I'm sharing a conversation with someone I look up to and learn from, and I'm just so honored to have on the show my friend and teacher, Katherine Gallagher. Before we jump into the interview, I just wanted to reflect for a few moments on another conversation I had with a friend who has recently embarked on her first solo trip. I asked her how things were going, and her response was, interesting, you know, in that tone that clearly means not quite what she was expecting, not all rainbows and unicorns, so of course I was eager to hear more. And doing so brought back so many memories and emotions from my own early days as a solo traveler. I mean, in just a week, she's had already so many realizations from the practical side, like she's been moving around too frequently and she's carrying too much weight in her backpack. Oh, that's my kitty. (laughs) Um, Where was I? And then some more personal realizations she's had that she surprised herself by really leaning into that whole do what I want when I want mentality, the joy of being alone. You know, she's been able to tap into her intuition and find out that she actually really enjoys her own company. And then there are these questions that she's still sorting through, like how to make hostels work for her, how to bend herself off from unwanted attention how to be truly comfortable dining out alone, which all of us come up against the first time we set out solo and all of us figure out some way or another. And the result, if you ask me, is truly empowering. When we travel solo, we get to learn from and internalize so many life-changing lessons. Like what little ways can I care for myself to feel more comfortable right now? How can I politely or impolitely if need be, say no thank you to an inquisitive suitor? What extra layers can I literally shed to lighten my load? And what do I actually want to be doing in this very moment? Simplicity, solitude, slowness, selfishness, these are all attributes that we're taught to turn away from in our go, 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 more, more, more society. But I say they are vital. There's just so much juiciness to be uncovered about ourselves, about life. I'm honestly envious that my friend gets to have all these experiences for the first time, overcoming fears and discomfort and alchemizing them into lessons and strengths and tools for living, discovering the freedom that lies on the other side. It's such a gift to herself. And I would say it's even a gift to others because when we're living our best lives, so to speak, we're inviting everyone around us to do the same. And even if a solo trip isn't on the horizon for you, you can still try this out in your everyday life. Like maybe cross something undone off of your to-do list, just cross it off. Or say no to a social commitment that you're not that excited about and instead Take yourself out to ice cream or go on a long meandering walk with your favorite playlist or podcast. Open your closet and take something out that doesn't quite fit or flatter you anymore. Or maybe it never did and give it away. A traveler's backpack only has room for multifunctional clothes that you love. And let me tell you, it is so easy and even joyful to get dressed when those are your only options. Liberating too. Yeah, liberating is a word. Everything about solo travel is liberating, even the sticky bits, because in navigating through them, you come face to face with your own capabilities, your own courage. Your first solo trip will no doubt be interesting. (laughs) 
So go in with that expectation and trust that you'll grow through the experience. It's inevitable, I promise. And while I know my friend would be completely fine on her own, I like to think that I helped a tiny bit by being a sounding board for her. So if you can, it may be helpful to find yourself a slightly more seasoned solo traveler to have at the ready to reassure you that you're doing great and nothing's gone wrong, that everything you're feeling is both valid and temporary. You know, someone to just reflect back to you, your innate strength. And if you're not sure who that person might be, then I would be so honored to serve that role. My contact info is in the show notes. You know how to get in touch if I can ever be of assistance at all. And to my dear friend, you know who you are. I am so proud of you. And I wish you a transformational, heart-opening, life-affirming journey. And I wish the same for all of you too. So with that, I think it's time for the main event. Without further ado, let's turn to today's interview with Katherine Gallagher a beautiful soul inside and out. Whether you're just starting to think about a solo trip or you've circumnavigated the globe several times, I assure you there is something for everyone in this conversation. And stay tuned until the end for a very generous special offer from Catherine. Catherine is an award-winning spiritual business owner specializing in transformational yoga and surf retreats, spiritual business mentorship, and training yoga teachers. Catherine is an extremely experienced yoga teacher who hosts retreats globally through her brand, The Empower Method. Through asanas and heart-opening meditations, Catherine's classes focus on self-love, peace, and compassion. Catherine's also a keen surfer, dedicated foodie, and loves anything that allows her to live most of her life outdoors. I first connected with Catherine in 2020 through an online women's entrepreneurship group, and we both happened to be in the UK at the time, so we actually got to meet up in London during a very brief respite from lockdown, which was such a treat. And since then, I've participated in a restorative yoga series led by Catherine, as well as this magical women's circle focused on the tarot, which is absolutely fascinating. Catherine does everything with such intention and care, with respect and reverence for tradition. I sincerely admire the business and lifestyle she's crafted, and I have no doubt you'll feel the same after this conversation. So let's jump in. Welcome, Catherine. So great to have you on There She Goes. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Thank you so much, Catherine. Hi, everyone. I'm beyond grateful. And maybe you can hear in my voice, so excited to be here on the podcast, because uh, first off, I'm a huge fan of this podcast. And I love hearing from the other guests and hearing about all the solo women travels and anything female empowerment is my area. So uh, in terms of work, I'm a global yoga teacher. I'm a retreat leader. And I run a spiritual business mentorship program called the Empower Program. Uh, And off the back of that, I have my own yoga method called the Empower Method, which specializes in embodiment practices to really help people uh, move beyond their comfort zone, overcome fears, limitations, build their confidence. And it's all done through movement practices, meditation, breath work. And a particular passion of mine is restorative yoga. So I really love to help people find more rest, more ease, more healing, more relaxation in their lives. And then a little more about me. I'm a keen surfer. I would love to improve, but I'm currently working on longboarding skills at the moment. And I just absolutely love being in the sea, whether swimming, surfing, Uh, Being on the beach, I just love anything that helps me to be more outdoors. Also a very keen reader. I love to have a novel on the go and also any kind of self-help book or spiritual text. I'm all about that. So an overall uh, human being. So just trying to work on being the best I can, uh, you know, being kind um, and really anchored in my own spiritual practice. I'm also an auntie seven times over. So (laughs) I have a lot of small children in my life, which is wonderful. And I don't see them as much as I'd like to, because I'm often on the go. Uh, 
so and then with the pandemic and everything but yeah I do also you know very much in my family as well Beautiful, Catherine. Thank you for that intro. I'm curious, and I'm sure the listeners are too. Can you tell us a little bit about your path, how you got where you are today, working as an international yoga instructor and business mentor? Of course. Well, it's been quite a winding path, as I'm sure everyone listening can nod their head to that, that life is never linear. It's very cyclical, very chaotic spiraling sometimes um, or often (laughs) but my background uh, in terms of career is very varied so I initially started off as a barrister working in the charity sector so in the UK we have two different types of lawyers you have barristers who are the court advocates you see wearing the wig and the gown and then we have solicitors who do more the paperwork side of things for litigation and then give the case to a barrister to represent in court So I had advocacy skills from that background and also a lot of travel because I never worked practicing in the UK in court. I was working for NGOs uh, and I then worked in the charity sector in the UK. But following that, I moved uh, into marketing and events work, uh, starting off in the legal industry, but then transitioning into financial services. So that was quite a big jump moving from practicing law into marketing and events, and then in finances and banking, which I knew nothing about, but it was a great experience in my 20s to be in a corporate environment, learn so much and also learn how to put on really spectacular high budget events, which I've utilized a lot in my career now running retreats But what happened during my time in the corporate world was I suffered a lot with anxiety, looking back on it. I don't think at the time I had a name for it, but that was really what I was suffering with, plus a lot of back pain. Uh, I have a mild scoliosis of the spine, which gives me some kind of pull and wear and tear. And I just found yoga very, very relaxing and deeply healing for me. Um, And I started off doing do you know Groupon? Groupon vouchers after work mm-hmm. going into local gyms in London where I was working. And then I made a move uh, to Sussex in the UK and commuted to London in and out. And just around the corner from me, a beautiful yoga studio opened offering hot yoga. And I started going there daily. And a few days after joining, Uh, It was very tragic. We found out my middle sister had cancer during her pregnancy, which was a huge uh, shaking of my being, Uh, really, really horrific. And at the same time, I was having some difficulties in a relationship and just really not enjoying work anymore in a really dark place. And yoga was literally my saving grace. So I started going almost like I was addicted to it. And I mainly practiced restorative yoga, where you can go and just be invited to lie on the floor, take a few peaceful postures, but it's not a flowing movement. Or I did the hot yoga to sweat and kind of release things from my system. Um, But really, I was going for my mental health more than physical. And my teacher noticed my passion for it and that I was always showing up I was extremely shy I didn't talk to anyone but she invited me to join her first training so I then joined the following year thinking I'll never teach this is just for me and lo and behold every sign (laughs) from the universe upon qualifying was go for it like I would you know I would go to the local salon have my hair done she said I'm thinking of converting the loft and maybe running yoga up there you don't know a yoga teacher do you yeah that's me (laughs) and you know this was just not a one-off it was kind of like everywhere I went I felt very strongly there were signs to go for this and that it would really be possible so for six months I worked full-time commuting to London about two hours each way going from Sussex to Canary Wharf and back And then I teach in the evening, I teach at weekends. And I remember, Catherine, this hustle of six months of not a day off because I worked full time in the week plus evenings and every weekend day. But then after that, I was like, okay, I can do this. I can make enough just from yoga 
to cover what I need to cover. And also I was seeking a different lifestyle. I didn't want the career ladder corporate thing. It was wonderful. It was great. It set me up. Don't get me wrong. But I wanted to be by the sea. I knew I wanted to surf and learn how to surf and make that really possible. And you need a lot of time to be able to do that. Uh, I wanted to travel. I just was, you know, seeking something different from where I could see my path going. So I, yeah, I very strategically quit my corporate job. I waited for my promotion. I made sure I had my bonus coming in and then I handed my notice, uh, took off to India for two months to begin with, because I felt it's important for me if I'm doing this, that I honor the source of where this is coming from. And following that, I worked full-time in Sussex for 18 months before then taking a role in Morocco where I became their retreat leader and residential yoga teacher. And that was amazing to learn the retreats business. And then from there, I've been on my own since. Wow, I hadn't heard your full story before. I love how you acknowledge that meandering, seemingly randomness of life, those up and down cycles we all go through, and yet how you wouldn't be where you are without every single step of the way. You know, whether it was a draining corporate role or a family tragedy or all of those beautiful synchronicities and signs, it's all so inspiring. And how wonderful that you were able to spend time in India to honor the source of yoga. Shifting gears a little to travel, I'm curious, was that your first solo trip? My first time was actually 17 years old. I was, I was really trying to trace this back for you, Catherine, because I love that question. My mom and dad took me to Canada where my mom had lived as a, as a young teenager, child teenager for a few years. My grandfather was an ambassador there. So I got dropped there. I had a couple of weeks with them and then I was kind of left there with family, friends and who I'd never met before um, and explored kind of that part of Canada with them, which was right over on Vancouver Island and then there's Denman Island, Long Island, um, and had a really amazing summer out there. So I, I was with sort of family friends, but I, you know, it was very much on my own, having never met them before. And that was a real adventure at the time. So yeah, I bet. That's so great that your parents encouraged that for you. You know, it was a while back, but do you remember any specific moments or learnings from that trip that have stuck with you? or influenced you, helped you in some way? Definitely. I, I think, and being that age 17, it was really fun, you know, being kind of a young, well, slightly older teen, actually, and just trying new things because their children had equivalent age children and one of them had a VW van and, you know, we went bombing around the islands on that and I tried mushrooms for the first time not that I that's something I would at all recommend um but it was something that happens definitely a new experience for me and it was actually by accident I didn't realize they had made a kind of mushroom tea and I thought being English oh a nice cup of tea only to find an hour later like you know seeing things that aren't there (laughs) that was quite an experience um but I would say this Canada summer trip really set me up for university to feel confident in I can walk into any room, any social situation without knowing anyone and feel okay. Because it's quite daunting to walk into a space where you don't know a single person. But if if anything, I feel more comfortable sometimes going into a room where I don't know anyone, like hosting a retreat. I sometimes have groups of people I've never met them before. Uh, sometimes I know a couple of them, but the majority, I I don't know them. And I feel really confident doing that. Mm, That's a huge advantage of getting outside of your comfort zone, outside of your hometown and learning to connect with new people, knowing that whether we grew up on different sides of the globe or different corners of the same country, we can still have fun together with or without psychedelics. (laughs) Your story actually reminds me a lot of a trip I took when I was 17. I actually spent a few months in Mexico living with a local family and attending a local high school. That's where I had my first beer. I definitely can't claim ignorance on that one. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Once I took a bus to Acapulco to go to a foam party. I mean, that was completely unheard of for me in my, in my life back home. And of course, I got to develop friendships with Mexican kids. I think that whole experience really helped me prepare for college too. Looking back, I was pretty fearless. And frankly, I can't believe my parents let me go. It is amazing to do things so young, I think. And sometimes I, as I'm falling asleep and your mind flicks through your life, well, that's what mine does. I don't know if yours does, but I get these flashbacks and I think, gosh, I was so brave. And I'm not sure now in my 30s I would do that. So I was given quite a lot of freedom by my parents and perhaps being the youngest, my sisters would say that I was given more free reign than maybe they were a bit more protected and you know, by the third child, my parents were a bit more (laughs) just, she'll be fine. I I don't know if that's right, but that's just a thought. Well, you've traveled to India alone. You lived in Morocco. And now I know you're going to be spending at least a few months in Spain coming up. All of that is still brave to me. And you mentioned earlier, you work for international NGOs in your early career. I would love to know more about your experience working overseas. The first time was when I was 22 or 23, I was still in my legal career. And then I applied for a scholarship from my Inn of Court, which is a membership body for barristers. And I received one. So I chose to go to Laos. And Laos was the first country I lived in, which was really special. I traveled there as a student with a boyfriend at the time, both university summers. We did one in South Africa and then two in Laos. We we went back to Laos because we loved it so much. And uh, I then chose to work out there specializing in children's rights law, illegal logging, and UN work, which was an incredible experience. I didn't want to come home. I literally left it to the day of the six months when my flight that I had was sort of valid for. And I just flew back feeling completely displaced, like, well, I had to leave the country, but I don't want to be here. But the experience was so amazing. And I think the difference is when you live somewhere, you get under its skin you get to see what's below surface level and it's no longer tourism, like hopping from temple to temple, island to island where you, yes, you've physically been to a place, but maybe not landed there energetically or really been a part of the experience. It's more just, you've seen it with your eyes, but perhaps you haven't felt it in your body. It's the only way I can really explain that. So it's also harder sometimes because being in a, country like that and I also went to Cambodia and Thailand as well on on that experience um you see a lot of poverty too so you it helped me to realize just how insanely lucky and privileged I am also to have a British passport and the fact that we without even thinking travel so much that's something that now after the pandemic I've really reflected on a lot is that privilege and you know, will I travel so far afield again? And it's it's much more an ethical question for me now, all, all this travel. And I think what the pandemic has done has led me to stay closer to home and really travel, micro-travel and see more of Sussex, for example, and now the Southwest and do, you know, you can do a whole day trip just 20 minutes down the road and see a new place and really get to know the different coastline or the walks. So Yeah, I would say it's about getting under a place's skin, definitely. And then Morocco would be the other place that I've lived. So that was extremely interesting to live in such a patriarchal society compared to Lao being a very karma-based society, a Buddhist society, and then being in Morocco, an Islamic country, um, really so different, both so exotic, both so incredible and amazing and beautiful in their own ways. Um, But I was working within the tourism industry in Morocco, so I was also seeing it through that Western lens, I would say, and very much the beach yoga thing. But I did have a chance to to see some more of the country and speak a tiny bit of 
uh, Darija, which is the Moroccan Arabic dialect. Um, just a very small amount, <laughs> but also you get to know the water there. So it was, uh, yeah, again, I feel very lucky to have had that experience there. Thank you for sharing all of that. How fascinating. I, I have about 15 follow-up questions for you, but I'm going to ask on behalf of myself and any listeners who share your desire to land energetically in a place and get under its skin. For those of us who aren't able to spend six months or more in a country or within a community, how can we do that? How can we get beneath the surface level tourism and truly connect to wherever we are, even briefly? That's such a beautiful question. Wow. So two things are coming to mind that might sound really simple, but I love simplicity. So I'm going to say them because it's what in my what's in my gut to say. So firstly is smile. Smile at people there, especially local vendors. Let's say you want a juice or you want some fruit or something from the shop. Could you talk to people a bit more? And actually ask them with eye contact, how's your day? How are you? But mean it. Because you can say that throw away, but maybe taking just 10 more seconds of time to give that person a connection. That's yoga. That's practicing yoga because yoga means connection to yuj, to join. So, and that's how I live my life. That's how I practice yoga. It's not, doesn't mean an hour vinyasa class every day or 20 minutes timed meditation. It means how you treat people, how you treat yourself. So, um, and sometimes I'm moody and I don't feel like smiling at people, but if I wanted to get under the skin of a place, it's got to be through connecting to the local living beings there, whether that's the animals, the nature, the people. And then if you can, walking barefoot is incredibly grounding. So if you can, you know, if it's, through a forest or the beach, maybe not in the winter, but just touching the ground, the soil. And I once read that if you have flown somewhere and you land, try not to wear sunglasses when you first get there and really let the light penetrate your eyes so that your circadian rhythm can adapt to the, uh, your body clock can join the current time of the place. So you want to get that natural light in and try not to block it out so much with sun cream or, or sunglasses within reason, obviously stay safe, but to get that light on your skin can really help. So I think actually it's, it's working with the body. So smiling, using your face, eye contact, barefoot, allowing the sunlight on your skin. There's some really simple, accessible ways. Oh, those are perfect, simple yet profound ways to connect to both the place and its people through our bodies. I have to admit, I was not aware that yoga means connection. That's so beautiful. I'd love to go a little bit deeper into your experience connecting to the natural world in your travels, going barefoot, and you mentioned earlier getting to know the water in Morocco. Can you share a little bit more about that? Definitely, definitely. And I found salt water in my life I don't know quite how it works or why but so healing like it can move through you it can wash away the debris it can cleanse you purify you really help you shift your whole energy including mindset but your whole body energy as well so and enough rough and tumble in there wipeouts and everything that something's going to shift isn't it so <laughs> Uh, in Morocco, what I found is uh, from working in the surf and yoga industry, a lot of people come and they're so hard on themselves. They want to immediately catch a wave. They want to immediately ride a hard board rather than a soft top. They, they want to show off and want to impress and maybe put their level higher than they actually are. Um, or there's a huge lack of confidence in the water. But what I would try to say in the kindest way possible and you know never showing someone up or something is maybe try to connect with the water first and it's never going to flow to you you have to flow with it so if you're missing a wave or wiping out and then you slap the water and you smash your board and there's this violence this aggression against it you're you're working against it rather than with it so maybe if you could 
when you're paddling, run your hand over it like a blessing, like stroke the water as you paddle and go slow, just, just slowly, just slow. And that's what all the Moroccan guides would say, just slowly, just slowly, just like chill, literally relax and try to go at the speed of the water because although a wave is powerful, it's often quite fat and actually moving quite slowly. So maybe you don't need to be wasting and overexerting, but actually just try to time it and connect with the water. Again, it's all yoga, it's all connection. Uh, And I found myself for surfing, I'm not anything great by the way, but I have found that when I can relax and actually be one with the water, that's where things start to flow. And I take it one step further. I like to do a gratitude ritual. It's so simple, just something like cup the water in my hands, give myself a little rain shower, and then just say, thank you for having me here. Please take care of me. Please hold me because it's also a dangerous sport. Things can happen in there quite quickly. So I'd rather know that I've done what I can to communicate with that element, which is, you know, we're basically mainly water ourselves. So it's also like a ritual to ourselves as well as to the, you know, mass of ocean to, yeah, to, to say thank you for having me be here today and, and holding me and please, you know, bring me safely back to shore that I just want to have some fun with you. I am seriously covered in goosebumps. That's amazing, Catherine. And I'm thinking whether we're traveling by the sea or on land, just taking a moment to perform some sort of gratitude ritual for the earth and its elements can be so powerful. Another way to connect. Definitely. You can thank the ancestors of the land too for having you there. And people sometimes do that in their you know, online space and say which country they're in and thanking the land. But we're just going through autumn equinox right now. So this could also be a beautiful time to make a little altar where you collect a few leaves from outside, see the changing colors. Maybe each leaf is a symbol of something you're shedding, something you're letting go. You could write on the leaf. You know, there's so many ways to do ritual. It doesn't have to be a set prescribed thing. It's literally just taking a moment, being creative with it. And, uh, yeah, trying trying things that give gratitude back to to the earth, to the water, to fire, to air, to ether. Yeah, honoring the elements. Yes, absolutely. I love that. Just pausing in a ritual to show some reverence for the land and its natural cycles, its traditional custodians, regardless of how long we're present on it. And I read something beautiful this morning about, again, on the autumn theme, is as we have now a six-month equinox till the next spring equinox is if you are planting seeds kind of over the winter, you can always write a prayer and bed it down into the soil. It could be symbolic. You could actually write it on paper as long as it's paper that's okay to be put in the soil, you know, nothing that's going to damage the soil. But uh, you can really yeah, make something beautiful, daisy chains or flower petals or just something to to honor the nature and then a prayer of thanks or a prayer of something you're calling in, something you're letting go of. These are just really nice things to to try and they don't take a minute. I think people just, it's so much easier to put on Netflix, isn't it? If you could just set aside tiny micro moments, you know, whether it's when you walk in the seat, just literally touching it and admiring the droplets fall off your fingertips. It's like, that's the real, for me, beauty and joy of being a human being. Like, what is this life if I don't see the magic in it? Mm, yes, so, so true. And I can envision doing a similar ritual on the road, maybe writing down a one word intention for my trip and then burying it and letting the land co-create that experience with me. I'm so inspired. Kind of on a similar note, I know in your life you really prioritize rest and balance. So I'm curious about any practices you enjoy that help you maintain that sense of balance, that connection to yourself, you know, whether you're at home or traveling. That's another beautiful question. Thank you, Catherine. I would say reading. I really love to have a book to immerse myself in. And I tend to start my day reading rather than going to my phone straight away, which, you know, was my old way of living. 
straight away check or who's messaging me or what's in my inbox or wow, what alarm is going off. Now it would be waking up slowly and diving into a book. Um, and I do love to have them on the go. And then my practice, I really enjoy restorative yoga a lot. And I'll share with you one that I think for travel is what I believe the best one. It's called Viparita Karani and it's legs up the wall pose. So you can do that on a bed, on the floor, and you literally put your hip up against the wall or the headboard, and then you swing your legs up and you lie your back down and you reverse gravity on your legs and your feet. So especially traveling, you, you're walking around a lot or you've moved a lot, you've been sat upright in a chair, on a plane. This just helps to drain all of that fatigue out of the legs, out of the feet. It's also really great for varicose veins or if you have water retention around your ankles, swollen feet from flying. And it's said to realign your body clock. It can also help insomnia, can really calm the mind and the brain because any position where your heart is higher than your head is considered an inversion in yoga. And that naturally lowers cortisol, the stress hormone in your body. So this isn't a woo-woo thing. This is a very much a science-based technique. And that's why I think yoga is so calming because there are so many forward folds, down dog, you have your head below your heart. So all of it is amazingly designed to soothe the mind and um, yeah, put you in a more peaceful, easeful easeful state so if any of you are struggling sleeping at all try that when you're lying there in bed put your legs up the wall and try and relax there breathe deeply and see what happens mm, feeling relaxed just picturing myself in that pose how long should we try to stay in that position so 10 to 15 minutes is considered the length of a restorative pose usually but for me even you know, three minutes, three to five minutes is going to do something. So I would just, yeah, explore that. A lot of people do that before they go to bed as well. And if you have a meditation practice, I, I personally love to meditate in the evening before bed. I have more of a bedtime ritual and routine than I do morning at the moment. I just find it, um, I need longer to wind down and I like to take my time winding down, preparing for bed. So you could put your legs up the wall and then do your meditation in that position. But the, the key trick is to try not to fall asleep. Try to stay concentrating on your breath in the moment. Meditation requires a lot of effort and concentration. I think that's often not realized with meditation. But yeah, you really have to stay focused on one fixed point. So that could be your breath or it could be the feeling of your hands resting on your body your legs up the wall, because often you feel with your legs up a draining sensation down the back of your legs. So some teachers call that position waterfall. You might have heard a teacher say waterfall instead of Viparita Karani. They're meaning legs up the wall pose. So yeah, I'd recommend giving that a go if any of you are on the move a lot, your legs are really tired, or you have any kind of stagnancy in your legs and fatigue. Try reversing it. Try literally reversing gravity on your body. Go upside down. Mm, that sounds wonderful. Thank you for that tip. I actually have a related question about yoga nidra, which I've done with you and with other teachers as well. And for anyone listening who isn't familiar with it, from what I understand, yoga nidra is this type of deeply restorative yoga that doesn't really include movement. It's more of a guided meditation into a dreamlike state. And sometimes when I'm battling jet lag or insomnia, I'll put on a yoga nidra recording to help me fall asleep. And I'm wondering, is that quote unquote allowed or am I supposed to stay awake for that as well? Mm, good question. So I think there's different schools of thought on that. I'm very much like it's all okay. <laughs> what's good is what's right for you. In trainings, for example, because I have a, a training coming up in yoga nidra would be you are trying to stay awake. So some teachers would say you need to have your arm up in the air so that you don't fall asleep. You're lying down, but with your arm up. So, and then it's going to thud if you start to fall asleep. So they're trying to get you to stay awake. But I think whatever is right for each person. So like you were saying earlier about having an intention, if your intention is to use it to fall asleep, 
then great, that's what you're using it for. If it's to deeply heal, then anything that helps you to rest, but it is said that the yoga nidra rest state is deeper than regular sleep. So it might be interesting to try staying awake for it. And if your intention is to experience what it's like in that state between being awake and sleep, then try to stay conscious, but in that dreamlike state, lucid dreaming. So I think just choosing what is the intention and then giving it a go, but it is very hard not to fall asleep. (laughs) I thought, yeah, especially at the end of the day. So maybe you try doing it in the morning or on your lunch break sometime and see what happens. They say 20 to 30 minute practice could equate to two to four hours sleep. So it's definitely worth a try, everyone. And it's like a, an amazing way of uh, macro dosing yourself with micro time, especially if you travel. Mm, macro dosing with micro time. I love that concept. I'm going to link to one of your Yoga Nidra recordings. So anyone who wants to can try it out. And I'm also wondering how else you take care of your body and your spirit when you're traveling. Do you have any other tips to share? Sure. I like to eat how the locals do. So that was something that I felt kept me safer and well. I I didn't get sick in India. I was so lucky. I did have a vegetarian diet there, but I would avoid going into Western style restaurants where let's say if you were to order a burger, Firstly, they may not know how to cook that for you because it's not their regular diet. And that meat, how long has that been sat there? Because they're waiting for someone to come in. So the turnover of food is way less. Whereas if you go to a street vendor or try the street food, the turnover is so high, it's kept really, really hot. It's, you know, possibly not that healthy, like coated in oil, but it's going to be safe. And I think it's also really nice to support the local cuisine and, you know, try what the locals are eating. I think be really careful with water. Uh, Sadly, with surfing and surfing and travel, seawater is becoming increasingly polluted, especially with sewage as population rises. And that's a real issue in Morocco. So sad. Um, Moroccan belly, you know, is caused in my opinion, from the seawater there, not other things. I'm sure that there are issues with some food and some water, but I've even in the UK recently in Sussex surfed and had really severe tummy ache and then heard that, you know, the sewage was being pumped out not far from there. So this is a global issue. I'm not pinpointing Morocco at all. I'm I'm saying it's everywhere. I've had it in the UK and this is not what you'd expect here but it's just becoming so hard to keep our oceans clean so I just think be careful with uh, water and then eat the way the locals do embrace the season as well so wherever you are in the world Um, and it's also an eco thing try to buy seasonal foods so while I'm in winter in the UK do I need to eat asparagus no I'm going to have my nice, you know, root vegetable stews and warming foods. And that's also going to help my immune system as it gets colder. And then the summer, I would want seasonal fruits and salads and lighter, cooler meals. And that's a very Ayurvedic way of living as well. So that's the sister science to yoga, probably too much for this podcast. But if any of you are into Ayurveda, um, that's a really holistic way of living with the season and honoring the elements as well. Mm, I'm going to have a little fangirl moment, but (laughs) Catherine, you always impress me with all of your knowledge, not just of yoga poses, but the history and the science, what's going on in our bodies, the spirituality, the religions. I just love how you tie it all together so seamlessly. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love world religions. It's my main, that was my degree at university I I did that and then I also did a law degree but theology and religious studies was my absolute favorite both at school and then university and I just have huge respect for uh, diversity in this world and want to learn you know why people believe certain things go deeper into my faith which is literally the backbone of my entire life and um, yeah very much seeking out the divine 
in this world and this human experience. So That's beautiful. So when you're traveling somewhere new with perhaps different religious or spiritual traditions, what do you do to immerse yourself more deeply into that side of things? Mm, I guess I came more from an academic viewpoint. So it was interesting then going to these countries and saying, okay, what is it like being in a Buddhist society? What's it like being in an Islamic society? And I think the main thing is having respect for it. And many people fly and land somewhere and they're still in their UK bubble or their their US bubble or wherever we're from um, with no desire to integrate at all because perhaps it's a short trip. So you're just there for literally the sunshine rest and nice food but you're never leaving your mind of like I'm still kind of in the UK kind of thing uh so yeah I try to actually be where I'm at be present there look around but it's just being respectful so I guess if you can visiting a sacred place is a really wonderful thing to do so I recently went to Glastonbury to Chalice Wells so that's somewhere in the UK that's sort of very divine feminine and really beautiful I've been in temples all over the world. I've been in mosques, but only in the section I was allowed to, you know, as a woman. Um, So I just enjoy experiencing it uh, and seeing what also comes with that. So it's architecture, it's art, language, calligraphy, food, you know, celebrations, public holidays, really, you know, religion is so deeply rooted in all of our lives. there's so much more to discover even here at home with that too. So uh, I think it's going to be a lifelong journey, but yeah, I think being respectful is important and also open, open to understanding because we can go to a place with preconceived ideas of something. But again, it's that having a smile and talking to people, asking your questions Um, and, you know, seeing what they come back with because faith is individual to every single person. So one Christian to another Christian will have a completely different view. Same with Muslims, same with Buddhists, same with absolutely everyone. So I don't think religion is a one-size-fits-all either. I'm more, I guess, um, interested in humans than, let's say, like a particular religion. Absolutely. I love that perspective. Thank you. Well, as we begin to wrap up, let's return to our solo female travelers out there and any advice you may have for someone who is at the start of her journey, places to go, things to do, and of course, a bit more about the yoga retreats that you offer. Thank you. I'd love to. Thank you, Catherine. Well, obviously, retreats are amazing. (laughs) And I'm always asked the question, should I come alone or with a friend or with friends? And I say, I actually think coming alone is so beautiful because you're never then worried. Oh, is my friend enjoying it? Is he okay? Is she okay? Um, What are we going to do tomorrow? You can literally just be with yourself, make new friends, uh, share what you want to share, stay quiet if you want to be quiet and do exactly what you want to do for those few days. So um, yeah, if anyone is interested, you can find me online. I'm sure Catherine will link this and I would love to host any of you. I have retreats in the UK at the moment and Ibiza and possibly a surf and yoga retreat uh, coming up soon. So stay tuned. I'm not exactly sure where yet, but I would love to host that. And then I would say, look at Facebook groups of the local area where you might want to go, especially if it's surfing, you can usually join those quite easily If you love art, book onto an art class from a local artist. If you love dance, go to the local dance school for a class. If you like yoga, drop in for a yoga class and hang around for a juice, a smoothie after someone will be there to talk to who obviously likes the same thing as you. Um, And I've recently booked myself onto a longboard surf clinic with three pros in um, Cornwall. So a couple of days down there, I don't know anyone else going. I think there'll be a group of 10 to 20 women, but they all love longboarding. So I'll find that easy to talk to them because we both have a passion. We've both taken two days off work to get there. We're in the same place at the same time in the same world. So there's a connection instantly through that. So I think 
if you can follow your loves and your passions and be brave enough to go for it, put a bit of money where you know that you'll have fun and you'll get a lot out of it. So I'm all for experience. I'd rather put my money into experiences rather than stuff. Um, and maybe a lot of your audience can relate to that. That would be my advice. Mm, that's perfect. Yeah, really feeding your passions no matter where you are. I personally, as I'm sure I've shared many times before on this podcast, I'm always looking for Latin dance classes or socials wherever I am in the world, from South America, of course, to here in Florida, where I am now, to London, Tokyo, you name it. And I've met really wonderful people everywhere I've been who all share the same love of dance and music. So yeah, I mean, whatever it is that floats your boat, even if you think, you know, I didn't fly all the way to Paris just to take another vinyasa class, it's still worth checking out, especially if you want to get to know people who live locally. And chances are you'll learn something about the local culture as well, just that just another walking tour likely won't reveal to you. Awesome. Okay, Catherine, thank you so very much for joining us today. It's been such a pleasure, really a treat to speak to you. Where can listeners connect with you and support your work? Thank you, Catherine. So I would say right now would be Instagram. I'm Catherine underscore 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 Gallagher. <laughs> and I say that because I'm currently rebranding from Yoga with Catherine, which was the first five years of my solo business running under that name into the empower method with Catherine Gallagher. So my website is soon to be launched. You can still find me at yoga with Catherine, Catherine with a C, but um, you might like to enter when I have the new website by the end of October. Not sure when this goes out, but I also have a free business mentorship training. If any of you would like to see my style of mentorship, I have the empower method monthly yoga subscription where you can join for my entire archive of courses, classes, different styles of yoga, live monthly workshops, and then I have my global retreats. So you can subscribe and sign up if you'd like um, twice monthly updates. And yeah, I would love to connect with any of you that felt a connection with things I've said this podcast. I'm so grateful, Catherine. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Catherine. And listeners, Catherine also has a very special offer to share, which is a discount of 300 pounds or about $400 off of her next goddess retreat, which is happening in Spain, October 15th to 22nd, 2022. So this exclusive early bird special is yours. If you email Catherine quoting, there she goes podcast before the end of this month. So before the end of October, 2021, book your spot for the following October. Honestly, it looks incredible. And if life and logistics allow, I will be there too. So that is it for today. Have a beautiful rest of your day and thank you for sharing your time with us.